Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. In 2016 on Staten Island, there was a lady named Tiffany Otterbeck, and she was making a meatloaf, and she wanted to dig her fingers down into it, so she took off her wedding ring and her engagement ring, and she sat them on a paper towel, and she folded it over, and she pushed it off to the side, and she made her meatloaf, and then she cleaned up the kitchen, and then in the morning, she got up, and she looked at her hand and thought, something's missing. So she went to the kitchen, and it wasn't there. She had accidentally thrown it away while cleaning up. So she went outside. Their trash can was empty. It had already been picked up. So in a panic, in tears and hyperventilating, she called the sanitation department and she talked to them. She said, my rings were in the trash. And they very graciously called the driver of that truck, told him to stop his route, to go drop the truck off at this safe place And then that evening, this lady, uh, Tiffany, and her husband and five volunteers from the sanitation department sorted through seven tons of trash. And they found the rings. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. Um, And so you can turn there, and I'll join you there in just a little bit. But when something precious is lost... We seriously search for it. So in the Bible, what does it mean for a person to be lost? Well, as defined by Jesus and Paul and Peter and James and John and Luke and Mark and Matthew and the writer of Hebrews, this is what it means for a person to be lost. A lost person is someone who has not trusted Christ. You might have to arrow on that, I guess. No, just the arrow key. A lost person is someone who has not trusted Christ. I don't know why that's not showing up there, but it's overhead view, supposed to be looking down on people um, and just just looking at, did you push that down arrow key? No, that's weird. Okay. Uh, You can leave that up. We'll get there in just a minute. But we're looking at lost people. What does that mean? Now, some people get the misguided idea that when you die, you stand before the pearly gates and they decide whether you get in or not. Well, your eternal destiny is settled before you die. It's settled while you're living in this life. And according to John 3, you are either saved already or you are condemned. There's no middle ground. There's not almost saved. You're saved or not. And there's only one way of salvation. That's to trust what the scripture says about who Jesus is and why Jesus came. And then you put your faith and trust in him. You ask him to forgive your sins and you ask him to be your savior. And he will. That's who he is, the savior. That's what he does. Jesus saves So anyone who has not trusted Christ as Savior is lost and condemned right now. Some of those people are nice people. Some have gone to church their whole lives. Some are good people, but they haven't trusted Christ, asked Him to forgive their sins and be their Savior. 
But anyone who has trusted Christ, the Bible calls you found. You were lost and now you're found. You were on your way to hell, now you're on your way to heaven. And you're part of God's eternal family right now. You don't have to wait till you die. You're already a member. So every person you have ever seen in your life is either lost or found. They either have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior or not. Now, the way I like to look at it is those have not trusted him yet. At least not yet. So we have a responsibility to both groups. To the lost, what's our responsibility? To share about Christ with them. To encourage, to set an example, to model Christian behavior, to try and bring them toward Christ. And what's our responsibility to those who are found, those who are part of God's family? We're, we're family in the Lord. Now, some of them don't look like you, act like you. Some of them go to churches you might be really uncomfortable being a member of, but they're still your brother or sister in Christ. So we have a responsibility to show God's love to them. We're part of the family of God. So we receive them as brothers and sisters. How many of you have a biological brother or sister that you love, but you're really glad they don't live in your house? Yeah. yeah, that's how it is with our spiritual brothers and sisters, too. We can love all of them. We can care about them. We might not want to share the house with them or go to the same church with them because some of them go to some strange churches. But we're all family in the Lord. So this morning, we're going to look at Luke 15, and we are rejoicing in God's lost and found. Jesus tells three stories, and each illustrate the same principle. When something is precious enough, when something is precious enough, we seriously search for it. Now, Turning something lost into something found is a worthy pursuit, and it's a cause of great rejoicing. Jesus says, all of heaven rejoices when those who are lost are found. So we're going to walk through Luke 15, we're going to look at what Jesus says, and then we're going to come back and we're going to learn some principles from this. Okay, in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse number 1, the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. To hear him. Now, tax collectors were a low breed in their day. The Jewish people hated the tax collectors. Now, let's put it in context for us, okay? I'm not really fond of paying all my taxes to the federal government because they use it for some crazy things. But it was worse in their day. In their day, it would be like the IRS taking your money and sending it to Russia. The tax gatherers supported the Roman government who dominated Israel. And so the people in Israel really hated doing it. Plus in our day, I've said this before, the people who work for the IRS are bound by rule of law. In their day, they weren't. They could take more money than was owed, and if they could get away with it, that was fine with the Roman government. They didn't care as long as they got their share. So they really hated tax collectors. And so when 
Jesus allowed these people to come up to him, some certain people got upset. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He, he, now, in our day, it's not such a big deal to eat with people, right? You, you go to a restaurant and there's people at a table right beside you. You may say hi to them if you know them, if, even if you don't. Uh, in in uh, some places, uh, there's not enough tables. And so like if you go to a restaurant in New York City and there's two of you at a table for four, they might seat two people you've never met at the same table with you. It's no big deal in our culture. But in their culture, sitting down to a meal was sharing your heart. There was an equality to it. Uh, you welcomed these people in. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to sit in the same restaurant and eat this food. It was, I am sharing life, my life with their life. We're connecting. And so when he allowed them to come in and he's eating with them, this really stressed the Pharisees. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying... Now, it says this parable, and then he tells three short stories. And each of these stories is roughly the same idea, the same concept, that we should care about what's lost and do what we can to reach them. So he says in verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Now, sheep aren't very smart. It's kind of funny that God calls us sheep. Uh, sheep aren't very smart. They don't see very well, and they stink. So Jesus says we're his sheep. But uh, <laughs> that sheep, when that sheep got separated from the other sheep, it would, if it could find still water, it would get a drink. If it finds some grass to eat, it would eat it. If it found a place to lay down, it wouldn't look around. It wouldn't call out. Uh, it wouldn't uh, yearn for, it, it just, it's out there and it's lost. And sheep do not get found by their, themselves. Little Bo Peep's sheep would not come wandering home. The truth is, they'd stay out there lost till somebody went and looked for them and found them. And so he goes out and he finds the sheep. And then what does he do in verse 5? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, in their culture, the sheep, that was his livelihood getting the wool from the sheep, getting uh, milk from some of the sheep, that was his livelihood. Uh, maybe even selling some of them for food. Uh, he, that was like, he had lost a big chunk of his income by missing that sheep. And so he rejoiced that he found the sheep. Now, then he tells a story about a woman. Now, in their culture, the guys taking care of sheep were not really valued. And in their culture, women were valued even less. It is said that one of the prayers the Pharisees would say is, Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile or a woman. They called the Gentile dogs, and they put women just below the Gentiles. 
So now he mentions a woman. So, well, look at, at the middle of verse 6. I forgot to read this. He said, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then in verse 7, Jesus said, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So the Pharisees thought they were good. They thought they were great with God. And Jesus said, one sinner repenting is more to celebrate in all of heaven than all of you guys. Look at verse 8. For what woman, having ten silver coins, now that probably would have really stressed the Pharisees, because in their culture, women didn't have money. The money belonged to the man. And Pharisees really liked money. And so a woman has ten silver coins, they want to find out who she is, so they can marry her and take the money away, probably. But look, she has ten and she loses one coin. Does not what one would not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. So here are the supposed religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. The scribes are the ones that would actually write down the scripture. In our day, I've got a bunch of translations online, well, not online, but on my computer, and I can print off any of them. Some of them I can't even read. And uh, I have Russian and Greek and all kinds of translations uh, in there, uh, contemporary Greek and uh, classical Greek as well. And there's Latin, and I can't read any of those. It just came with the software program that I have. But it's really easy for us to get access to Scripture. In their culture, in their day, the scribes had to meticulously translate, not translate, but copy it. They had to do it very carefully and, and very specifically. But these guys who were so focused on getting the Scripture right, and the Pharisees who were so focused on teaching the Scripture, they lost the heart of Scripture. And Jesus is exposing their heart. So in verse 11, he tells them, continuing the same idea of lost and found, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of him said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now normally, when would a dad, when would a son inherit from a dad? Normally. When the dad's dead. So the younger son comes and says, I want it now. Isn't that a strange thing? Any of you ever know a kid who says, I want it now? I've never known it. Yeah, this young kid, he wants it now. He doesn't want to wait. And so he basically says to his dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my money. Give me my money now. And the dad did. Now, in their culture, the legal system, the older son would get two-thirds of it, and the younger son would get one-third of the dad's income. That's how it was distributed. 
Uh, if there were multiple younger sons, then the older son would get twice as much as any of the other sons. And that's why when uh, Joseph showed extreme favoritism to Benjamin, his brothers were bewildered because he sat him down in age order, but then the youngest brother got the, the biggest thing. And But also in their culture, if the dad is distributing ahead of time, and then the, the younger son would lose one-third of his. So he would get two-thirds of his one-third. And so he was getting this money that he would have normally gotten when his dad was dead, but he wants it now. And so the dad gives it to him. Now, this is a bewildering the Pharisees. They would never have parted from their money early. Never. They don't understand this. But he divided to them his livelihood. In verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. Uh, he probably sold what he could sell and, and took whatever money he could with him. And he gathered it all together and he journeyed into a far country. Now when you move away from where you should be, it's always a far country, even if it's just the next town up the road. But here it was really a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. We're not going to get into what he could have spent his money on. We just know it's gone. So in verse 14, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. See, one of the things you need to do is save money for the future. Because bad things happen sometimes. And uh, I read a statistic just recently that more than 90% of the people in America live paycheck to paycheck with no savings at all. And you need to store up some for the future. For there will come a time you can't work the work that you're doing. There will come a time you would need to retire. And, and a lot of people can't. They're not prepared for that, not ready for that. But this kid spent everything. He, you know, when you're spending money, you have a lot of friends. And I saw that in the Marine Corps. Man, a guy would get a promotion and he'd have extra money and all his buddies wanted him to buy for them at the club or at the restaurant or whatever because he made more money. And, well, pretty soon you don't have more. In fact, it's said that lottery winners, a significant number of the lottery winners end up filing for bankruptcy. And you have more family members than you ever knew when you inherit a lot of money. Isn't that sad? But he spent it all. So where were all these friends? Well, verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. What would a Jewish guy be doing feeding swine? Well, you know what he'd just been doing, his lifestyle. That was wrong. So uh, pigs were uh, unclean animals for Jewish people. They're not for us. I enjoyed a little uh, thin sliced pig, uh, some bacon for breakfast this morning. And, and that's okay. But for the Jewish people and the rules that God had for them, that wasn't okay. So he goes and he's taking care of pigs. And he's so hungry. Look at verse 16. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate. Have you ever seen what pigs eat? When I was in the Marine Corps, we had a guy who would pull up to the back of the mess 
for six weeks or so, I had mess duty. They do that in between boot camp and when your school starts. They put you to work doing all kinds of stuff. And at first, I was a little grumpy that I got put on mess duty. And then I saw the jobs the other guys had to do. I was really glad I was on mess duty. Air conditioning, good food. You know. But you take the end of the day, and everything that's left over, we dump it into 55-gallon canisters. And then we put the lid on it because it reeked. And then once a week or so, this guy would pull up, and he'd back this big trailer up to the back of the dock, and we'd take it out, and we'd dump those containers into the back of his truck. And it was just filthy, nasty, full of stuff. And he said, oh, the pigs are going to love this. That's why your bacon tastes so good. But, <laughs> but he said, I, I want to eat that stuff. Now, maybe he's only talking about the pods, a certain plant the pigs were eating. But if it's garbage that spoiled food for us, pigs would eat it happily. Notice verse 17, when he came to himself. Well, what does that mean? That means he hasn't been thinking clearly. Now he is. He hadn't been evaluating appropriately. Now he is. He's figured it out. Wait a minute, what am I doing here? Somebody said that sinners are insane. When you do the wrong thing and you know it's the wrong thing, you're acting against your own best interests. And that's what this kid did. And so now he's figured it out. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? There's a famine and he's so hungry he wants to get down and slop with the pigs. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's a reasonable thing. Now what we're going to see in this story is that neither son understands the heart of the father. He says, I'm not worthy, which was true. Um, you don't have to call me your son anymore because I rejected you and I left. The dad could have left it at that. But this dad is a model of what Christ is like, of what God the Father is like toward us. So he does it. Verse 20, he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So he sees him a great way off. I picture that dad going out every day wondering, will I see my son again or not? Will he ever come back? Praying for him, waiting for him, seeing him. And he's not going to recognize him by the way he looks. When he left, he was styling. He had all kinds of money. He had all kinds of stuff. When he left, he was looking good. Now he's been living with pigs. He looks bad. He smells bad. And this dad recognized him. Maybe the way he walked, there was a certain way he walked. So they tell it, they say that if you watch the gait of people, you can identify people even when they're in costume because you recognize their walk. So the father ran to him. And this verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father ignored him. 
and interrupted him. He said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Aren't you glad we can do impromptu parties a little easier than slaughtering the cow and getting it ready? I'm glad. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to make merry. Now, the dad running in their culture, men didn't run. Little boys ran. Men didn't. They walked and approached. And, and the Pharisees, they had it down. They had a ponderous game. They, they wanted to show off their seriousness. And so running was never the thing they would do. Why, if they saw someone injured, they would walk slowly and probably walk around them instead of running to help them. But that dad runs. He doesn't care what's going on in the culture. What he cares is there's a lost one. And I want to bring him home. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. And he doesn't understand the heart of God either. Or the heart of his dad. And he came and drew near to the house. And he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. He thought his brother was dead, and now his brother's alive, and he's angry about it. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat that I may make that I might make merry with my friends. You almost have to read that in a whiny voice. You never made me a goat that I might be merry with my friends. Yet he's pouting. He's not doing the right thing. And he says, um, but as soon as this, your son who came was devoured your livelihood with harlots. The Bible doesn't say that. But this guy, you know, maybe if he had walked away, that's what he would have wanted to do. I don't know. And yet you've killed the fatted calf for him. You didn't even give me a goat, but you killed the fatted calf for him. And by fatted calf, that is plump and well-fed, and that's a, that's a precious thing in the family, and he's upset. So the dad says, son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. The younger brother got his inheritance. Everything else is going to you. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. That's the right thing. And I want to take some time here and I want to look at some principles that we get from this. And we're going to jump all the way back to verses 1 and 2. God wants us to welcome all the people he brings our way. He wants us to welcome all the people he brings our way. And not say, well, they're tax gatherers or they're sinners. No, we welcome them in. Every person. Um, the Pharisees, excuse me, the Pharisees were known for arrogance and prejudice. They believed they were so much better than other people that the other people weren't even worth saving. But Jesus loved people, even Pharisees and scribes. He loved all the people and he treated them as equally deserving God's love and grace. Some people have a very strange idea that they should show kindness only to those people who look and act like them. But God wants us to show it to everyone. 
And some people are very offended by people who have different political ideology or their hair is purple, or if you have purple hair, you're annoyed with people who have a natural hair, or uh, people uh, fuss about the way people dress, about the number of piercings they have. God wants us to show love to everyone. Jesus was very expansive. He loved people. You see, every person you ever see has the potential to become your brother or sister in Christ. Everyone. Jesus will accept and forgive anyone who comes to him, and he will wash away every sin. Jesus touched the leper, showed love to women who weren't married or who were in adultery. He listened to the heartache of a widow. He offered salvation to the very people who sought to crucify him. And he transformed the early church's greatest enemy, the harsh Pharisee Saul, into the greatest missionary evangelist in the history of the world, the beloved Apostle Paul. Jesus loves people. Every person in this area should be welcome in this church. That's the heart of God. Secondly, religious people can kill a church. Don't you love that picture? I believe I was in a church where the chairman of the deacons looked a lot like that. I'm not sure. When I was a kid, a long time ago. Now, before we came to here to Victory, Kathy and I were serving in a church 100 miles away down in Saurita, south of Tucson, just right at the edge of Green Valley. In fact, the dividing line between the community of Green Valley and the city of Saurita was just south of our house and south of our church. So when we got there, the church was made up mostly of fairly affluent retired people in Green Valley. Even though the church was struggling, we had 27 active members, and it was a quarter million dollars in debt. Ironically, the previous pastor still considers that the high point of his ministry, leading them into that debt. But uh, we were struggling a bit, and as we worked and we prayed and we were able to reach some people, most of our growth was coming from Sarita, of Samarita, not from Green Valley. And so one of these dear old saints in who'd been a charter member of the church, came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm concerned about the type of people that we're allowing to become members of our church. And I said, you know what? I am too. And Jesus said, anyone who comes to him is welcome in his church. So they have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they want to follow him, and it's his church. So we have to do what Jesus said, since he makes the rules. And you know what? She backed off. She never complained again, and you will love. I don't know, sometime later, I don't remember how long. In my mind, it's a couple years, but you know, I don't track time very well. So, uh, But we, there was a lady that Kathy and I reached out to and ministered to, and we were able to lead this young mom to the Lord. And she came from a rough background, and her language was not very good. And there was a time when a group of ladies, and she said something quite inappropriate. And this same lady, who had fussed a couple years before, or sometime before, said, well, that's okay. She's a new believer. She doesn't know. We have to be more understanding. Isn't that awesome? 
She turned from being a religious person to focus on relationships. Don't get religious, be relational, connect with people. Jesus loves them. Christ died for them. Don't scorn them. Here's a third thing. It is essential that we seek the lost. Essential that we seek the lost. People without Christ are on their way to hell. We need to seek them. Luke 19.10 says, Christ came to seek and save the lost. James 4.17 says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Not seeking the lost is a sin. So I want you to see two things as we look at these parable, or this parable and, and the connection to it. I want you to see the intention of the people. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, he said, He's going to leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost. Look at verse 8. She's going to light a lamp, and then she's going to sweep the house and search. Then in verse 20, the dad is looking down the road, and he sees his son a long way off, and he recognizes him, and he takes off running. Now, the average person can clearly see an individual from up to a half a mile away. Some with better vision can see further, some with poorer vision, it takes a little long. But this kid must have been somewhere between a quarter mile and half a mile away from the house and the dad took off running. He wasn't a trained athlete. This was the first time he'd run in years, but he did. Notice the intention. There was a lost thing and they intended to find it. They were focused on it. Then also notice their intensity. They focused until they succeeded. They didn't get distracted. They didn't give it a shot. You know, I'll give it a try. Oh, that didn't work. I quit. Well, I looked, but I didn't see it. You know, this is not your three-year-old. Did you find it? No. Well, they haven't looked, right? This, these are adults who are seeking, and there's an intensity. In verse 4, he's searching till he finds the sheep. In verse 8, she's searching carefully till she finds the coin. And in verse 20, he is running, and then he is hugging. Where had his son been living? With pigs. He's hugging. He's kissing. And some of you germaphobes are thinking, ew, right? Creeps me out a little bit, but... Uh, he's running, he's hugging, he's kissing. He's so excited. It's essential that we seek the lost. The dad had daily lived with a fear. He might not see this son again. And he went to a far country. They have no idea what was going on in that son's life. They didn't get news from neighbors. They didn't get information. He was gone. But the dad had been looking and seeking. And fourth, when a lost person is saved, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. Now you may think you've messed up your life so bad that God can't save you. 
because you've made so many mistakes. Well, Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus saves to the uttermost those who come to God through him. To the uttermost, completely. All right, let's say Kathy cooked the bacon to the uttermost. Would I have wanted to eat it? No, it would have been charred black yuck. But when God saves to the uttermost, every little piece and part of you that is corrupt, that has sin, that has a shadow, every little part is cleansed and made whole and made new. And then in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, it doesn't matter how big your sin, how bad your sin, how much your sin, God saves to the uttermost and he cleanses from all that sin. No matter how great your sins, his grace and mercy are greater. So to the career criminal being executed for his crimes against humanity, Jesus hanging on the cross beside the career criminal took pity on him and saved him. And when that criminal said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. No one is beyond his forgiveness. So look at verses 6 and 7. He says, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. And Jesus said, I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Look at verse 22, the father said, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and, and sandals on his feet and kill the fatted calf. Let us eat and be merry for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And jump down to verse 32. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. There is rejoicing in God's lost and found. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, Paul said to the people he led to Christ in Thessalonica, they were his hope and joy and crown of rejoicing, his glory and joy. We rejoice that our name is in heaven. We looked at that earlier this month. We rejoice that our reward is in heaven and we can learn to give thanks in everything. But we really rejoice when the lost trust Christ. We rejoice even more when God uses us in the process. We have shared Christ with somebody. They trust Christ. That's the greatest joy. We carry on the ministry of Christ to the people in our neighborhood and in our community. So a couple of things to think about. What are you doing to seek the lost? What, what have you been doing and how have you been intentionally or intensely seeking to reach people for Jesus? We can get awfully caught up in our own lives. 
We have health issues and financial issues and emotional issues and relationship. And we can spend a lot of time hanging out with believers, enjoying what God has given us. But we need to reach out to those who are lost. Second big idea, what could you do this week to seek the lost? Well, you can pray for someone who's lost. You can talk to someone. Pastor and author David Platt in his book, Something Needs to Change, says there's really only one thing worse than being lost. What's worse is being lost when no one's trying to find you. So, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. Christmas is the birth of Jesus Christ. God existed in heaven. He was born into humanity. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place on the cross, took our penalty upon him. He rose from the dead. He offers salvation to all who will trust and follow him. We're going to celebrate the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in the month of December. But as we celebrate his birth, don't let his mission be forgotten. He came to seek and to save the lost. If that's not a concern in our lives, we need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us. We need to change our priorities. Because that's the ministry of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought us to salvation. The scripture says the Father draws, the Holy Spirit moves. Christ has paid the penalty and we can trust and receive you. We thank you that you have done that in our hearts and in our lives. And I think of the people in our community. In my brain, I'm picturing a couple people right down the street. Or let me this week seek them. Talk with them. Share Christ with them. May each of us picture someone May we do what we can to influence that one for Christ. May we be on our knees in prayer, begging you to influence them. <laughs> Lord, if it was our child, if it was our grandchild, and we knew they were straying away from you, we would be pleading. Give us that heart for other people's kids other people's grandkids as well. Because you desire that all should come to repentance. May we be used in the process to reach some. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, please let us show you how from Scripture you can trust and follow Jesus Christ. If you're here and you know Christ, make a commitment this week to do something, even this afternoon. Spend time in prayer for that person that you might talk to this week. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, 
please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.